listening to another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. Well, like I said, it's good to be back. And I believe in this series that we're in called Heartbeat. God wants to challenge each one of us to live lives that count the cost and make a difference. I don't know whether it's your first time here tonight or you've been here your whole life like myself. But I believe this church is called not just to have great services on a Sunday, but for each one of us to find our fit and make a difference. I don't know about you, but I know too many people in my sphere of life that don't yet know Jesus, that we need to capture what God wants to do in and through our lives. And it's bigger than a church or an organization. It's, it's about us doing it together. And last week, Pastor Paul opened the series. If you weren't here, you need to jump online and listen to the message but the series around heartbeat, and we're taking some time to focus on some of our church values here at Life, our leadership values. And last week, Pastor Paul talked about the fact that people are our priority. That really, when you boil it all down, what are we here for? We're here for people. I love the mission statement of this house, to impact and change our generation with the reality of Jesus. And, And I think God can do whatever He wants, but I've discovered He chooses to use people like you and I. It still blows my mind as someone who's been born into the church, so to speak. I've been in more church services than I can count up to. <laughs> that, that there are people I still meet that say, do you know what? I have never heard of the story of Jesus. Like I'm sitting there, if I'm honest, thinking, but what about Easter and Christmas? But they have never heard who Jesus is and what he did for them. And people are our priority for us as a church is more than just a statement. It's more than a value. It's what we live by. But Pastor Paul said this. I love this, that the core health of who we are determines our destiny. What you believe about yourself will determine where you end up. If you believe you're limited in your capacity, you won't strive for something greater. If you believe that the past is too loud of a voice in your today, then your future won't be what it could be. That what you believe at the core of who you are ultimately directs your life to its destiny. And as a church, we believe in church values that cause us to live by as the core health of who we are to see the city changed. I don't know about you, but Melbourne's a big place and there are way too many people in our workplaces, our high schools, our universities, our families that are yet to discover this incredible love. Maybe tonight you're here in an environment like this for the very first time and it's foreign to you. I believe God will reveal himself to you. He's not some idea as Nadia said but he's real he's relevant and he presents himself amongst us and tonight we're going to look at this incredible value known as worship is our wisdom but I love what Pastor Paul challenged us with last week he said effective change requires external agreement and internal alignment so it's one thing to say great great message pastor it's another thing to align internally our lives to what's been spoken. It's one thing to come into church and get a good feeling. It's another thing to go out changed and apply what God's done in our hearts and lives. And I want to encourage you tonight to be open for what God has because I believe towards the end of this message in about 20 minutes time, we're going to create some room for God to do what only He can do. Because I can share a bunch of great thoughts that I feel like God's placed on my heart and I believe that's powerful, but really it's the presence of God in this place in His house that actually does what you and I can't do. 
And I want to challenge you and encourage you to be open for that tonight. But if you've got your Bible, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in the book of Matthew, chapter 26. And this is actually a passage that is a time in Jesus's life where he is about to go to the cross. And if you know the story of Jesus, you'll know that he did many great things in his life. But this moment in time was really the pinnacle or what it was all about. He created a way for you and I where there was no way. It wasn't now about the miracles or, or the moments where God did supernatural things, but it was about an obedience, a response that made a difference for all of humanity to come. And he's finding himself in this passage of Scripture in what's known as the Garden of Gethsemane. He's with his disciples, and they all come along, and he says to nine of them, hey, you guys wait here, or eight of them, you guys wait here, and then three others, you come with me, and then he gets to a point And we'll read this, and he says, you wait here, and he goes on. But I want you to capture this scripture tonight as the basis of our understanding when we look at worship being our wisdom. It says this, then Jesus, verse 36, led his disciples to an orchard called the oil press. He told them, sit here while I go and pray over there. He took Peter, Jacob, and John with him. However, an intense feeling of great sorrow plunged his soul into deep sorrow and agony. He said to them, my heart is overwhelmed and crushed with grief. It feels as though I'm dying. Stay here and keep watch with me. Then he walked a short distance away and overcome with grief, he threw himself face down on the ground and prayed, my father, if there is any way you can deliver me from this suffering, please take it from me. Yet what I want, watch this, Jesus speaking, yet what I want, is not important, for I only desire to fulfill your plan for me. And the moment he said, not my will, but yours be done, it says this, then an angel from heaven appeared to strengthen him. And I want to challenge you tonight around worship being our wisdom that our source ultimately determines our strength. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. Your word declares where two or three are gathered, you are in the midst. Tonight, Lord God, as we believe for miracles and miracles have taken place, Lord God, we pray that you continue to pour out your presence on our lives. Father, I pray for those that feel a million miles away from you, that tonight you would draw them close, that they would experience your love like never before. Father, I pray for all of us with hearts open, Lord God, I pray for you to do what only you can do in and through our hearts and lives and that tonight wouldn't just be another message we hear. It wouldn't just be another moment that goes on by. It wouldn't just be some thoughts I've put down on a piece of paper. But Lord God, you would speak in and through my life to all of us here tonight. We ask that you would have your way in and through our lives in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had this moment in your life where... You thought you knew best only to be caught out by someone who had the authority over your life. You know that awkward moment where all of a sudden you go from hero to zero. You're like, man, I'm awesome. And then next minute, no, I'm not. (laughs) This moment where you think this is cool until you discover you've been caught out. Maybe for you, it's that moment where you get pulled over by the cops because you were speeding. And you thought, oh, maybe I'm not above the law. (laughs) Maybe for you, it was a moment at school where you fell asleep and the teacher called you out. Maybe it's a moment for you where you can just, you can remember. I know the moment where I felt awkward that it was like, oh, shame. (laughs) Shame on your name. No, that's the old school. (laughs) 
I'll never forget this moment when I was about eight or nine years old. I was a bit of a scallywag at school. It was confessions of a, of a pastor. Uh, I remember these ballpoint pens, and we used to make pen guns. I don't know if anyone remembers this, but if you're a young person, don't try this at home. But anyway, we would snap the ballpoint pen, and in, in the top of the pen was a little white cap that you would jam on the end of the actual ink stick inside, and then you would grab the spring that was in there for the clicker, and because it was jammed on top of the cap, you would load up the spring until the force got so great that pew, it shot, and it went really, really good. This one time, it didn't go so good. I remember four, me and three mates, four of us around the table, we, we should have been listening in class, but we weren't, and as we were making these pen guns, well, mine went off when I wasn't expecting it to go off, and it went off in a direction that was not a great direction. It managed to hit the teacher square in the cheek. That's the moment where it's like, it's, uh-oh, <laughs> this is not going to go good. And straight away after the shriek of, ah, <laughs> who was that? And the room goes silent. You know, there's kind of like a coat of arms at school. It's like, don't rat anyone out. And then she started to make her way around the tables till she discovered a bunch of broken pens, evidence, around our table. She said, all right, who was it? Which one of you? And we were tight mates, so we weren't prepared to rat anyone out. I'm really thankful for my friends for that, because then we all had to go and walk of shame to the principal's office. It's the first and only time I've been to the principal's office, but I'll never forget it, because it was a shameful experience. As we walked to the principal's office, not, no conversation took place between us friends, but there was plenty of conversation with our eyes. Like, I was feeling like these guys were saying, why didn't you stand up and take the fall? It wasn't us that hit her. And as I was looking back, I was thinking, you, you guys were the ones that told me, let's make pen guns, you know, and there was this inner debate going on with friends. Anyway, we get to the principal's office. The teacher tells him what's going on, and he goes into the cupboard and pulls out four toothbrushes, dirty toothbrushes. And I'm thinking, man, I don't want to brush my teeth, A, at school, and not with that. I don't know where that's been. And he says, all right, boys, follow me. And we trudge down the hall with our toothbrushes into the boys' toilets, and there was the trough-style urinal that never was appealing whenever you needed to go to the bathroom. But he said, this toothbrush in your hand is to clean that urinal. Not a good moment. <laughs> the good news, and I'm here to tell the story I don't know where the favor came from, but he said, let this be a warning to you. <laughs> if anything happens again, you will be cleaning that urinal with this toothbrush. This was before the days of PC. So, you know, it was after the strap and the, and the whack that some people used to get, the chandel. But uh, this was frightening enough to say the least, but it was the moment where we really got caught out in trying to be cool or knowing better to be in a place where we went from hero to zero. But I find in my life, I find having an opportunity to help people in their journey of Christianity that human beings often are at war with this tension between a loving God who is fully for us, yet we make decisions that go fully against Him. This tension where, if I can put it plainly from my own life, I, f I feel like I know best. See, it's really obvious in that school classroom you shouldn't be making ballpoint pen guns. You're there to learn and listen to the teacher. But how many of us find ourselves in situations or scenarios where we wouldn't say this to God because it's too awkward to say, 
but our actions speak louder than our words, and we make decisions where we're really saying, God, we know best. It's like we don't intentionally do it in one sense, but if you take a moment to think about it, it's, it's kind of like we want control. We are human beings designed by God, and we have this nature. I'm thankful for it. I'm frustrated at times. I'd rather just be a clone, so to speak, and just do the right thing every time so I don't have to live under the challenge of those decisions. But then again, I'm thankful we've got a God who gives you and I free will, our own choices. And this discovery, this journey called life is one where you and I need to get to a place where in the wrestle moments, we trust God more than we trust ourselves. We've got to get to a place where we understand our decisions will ultimately lead to a point of humility you and I get to choose. Will we humble ourselves or will we be humbled? See, God is almighty. God is all-knowing. The Bible declares that He's all-loving. But generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, it proves that humans think they know better. It's no foreign concept, and I love that a God in His love does not give up on you and I. In fact, as the passage puts it, sends His one and only Son and goes all the way to the point where God being, or Jesus being 100% God, 100% human, He goes in His humanity, God, if there's any other way, hook a brother up right now. (laughs) Now's a good time. Like, I feel like I'm dying. That's how He puts it. I feel like I'm in a place I don't want to be yet, but you know what? (laughs) Not my will. Not my will, but yours be done. Puts it this way. Yet what I want is not important. Why? For I only desire to fulfill your plan for me. And in that moment of surrender, which is what worship really is all about, the angel appears and strengthens him. Could it be that for generation after generation, we've missed the significance of worship? We've wilted it down to just a song. We've wilted it down to just a moment. Yet I think as we find in this passage, Jesus is trying to model that even in our most challenging moment, even in our weakest moment, the surrender, the worship to trust God more than ourselves creates an opportunity for His strength to be in our weakness. I want to challenge you, I want to stir you up tonight to say you're not going to get it all right all the time, but the moment you put your dependence on Jesus is the moment He meets you right where you're at and everything, literally everything, can be different. I love the thought of worship being our wisdom because to me worship is summed up in this word surrender in devotion and dependence and Surrender is not an easy thing. Oh, it's easy if someone's pointing a gun at you because you value your life. Yeah, whoa, hands up. (laughs) It's easy when the cop pulls you over because the cop has authority. Sorry, officer. Yeah, you got me. It's easy in the moment when you are caught out, very hard in the moment when you choose to humble yourself. But it's in those moments that we now access who God is. Worship is our wisdom is about surrender, but wisdom is about knowing how, when, and what to surrender. See, you can't just have one without the other. It's not just enough to know we need to surrender, but 
we need to get to a place where worship is not just a song. It's far more than that. I love worship in terms of songs, but worship is a posture. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a decision as Jesus modeled, hey, really would like it this way, but you're God, so I'm going to surrender my life. Maybe you're here and you know what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. You've surrendered your life. That was the greatest moment of your life because you moved, as the Bible puts it, from death to life. There's people here tonight that need to make that decision for the first time and reconnect your life. It's real easy in one sense to make that decision because of what you get on the other side. Because you know what you get, the knowledge, I am saved, I'm set free, I'm off to heaven, is enough for you and I to say, yeah, makes sense. Yet the things in our life that we would prefer to have control over or know best in are the ones that God is looking for tonight. So you know what? It's going to hurt. <laughs> Pride, it's going to take a hit. Humility, ouch. Fear, doubt, shame, discouragement. And for some of us, if not all of us at times, it takes us getting to the point where we do the walk of shame, if you want to put it that way. Because we are caught out that we actually get to our knees and say, God, I, I surrender afresh. Not my will, but yours be done in my life. Yeah. We have an incredible God who loves us so much. The Bible declares that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Oh, but you don't know what's gone on in my life, Luke. No, no, I don't, but God does. And the Bible says, before you and I had the ability to choose him, he chose us. Yeah. So let's just put that to one side as an argument tonight because God's okay with where you're at. But God's a gentleman. He won't force himself upon us, but he'll wait for us to open our lives. And in that moment, he enters in. When I know, and I, I want you to capture this tonight, I, I work at church, I'm a pastor, you can, I've been in church my whole life. It's still in my life a daily decision to surrender. But when I know I'm living out of surrender, when I'm wise to the fact, when I'm living with knowledge that my life is in surrender, it's then I gain confidence in who I am and who he is to me. But it takes a decision point on the regular for that to be a reality. Sometimes we get sold a false lie. Hey, if you give your life to Jesus, everything's going to be sweet as, bro. Unfortunately, it only takes one sidelined mishap, unexpected moment, challenge in your family, your workplace to take place. You're like, whoa, where's God? The God's like, yo, I'm here. <laughs> I'm not circumstantial. But, but, but we get this false lie, if you want to put it that way, this false gospel that, hey, everything's going to be sweet. You're going to be all good the moment you say yes to Jesus. I believe God enters our hearts and lives and is with us, but it still takes a daily decision of our wisdom, our knowledge to know we need to surrender and worship in all times. And I love the depiction the Bible takes. There's two gardens it speaks of. There's the Garden of Eden where, you know, the story goes that God creates man and God creates woman and Adam and Eve are in the best place they could ever be, the Garden of Eden. Yet they make a decision where they think they know best. And then we find fast forward years and years and years, generations after generations later, God sends Jesus. Jesus finds himself in a garden, yet in his humanity makes the opposite decision. 
I don't know best, God. I feel like I do because I don't want this right now. But I trust you more than I trust me. And that decision changed humanity forever, much like the decision in the Garden of Eden. Yet this time, the curse was reversed, so to speak, and you and I now enter in to the freedom we have in Jesus. So real simply, real quickly, we're going to look at three, uh, I guess, areas that worship requires of us. I believe, number one, worship requires honor at all times. See, the thing about worship is, is it gives us the ability to be reminded we were created by God for God. When we worship, we place honor and reverence and put God back at the rightful place. God, I stand here in little old Melbourne on the little world inside of the huge universe that is galaxies after galaxies big that you created and spoke into being in one moment of time, yet you choose to presence yourself. God, I honor you for what I have in my life. I choose to honor God at all times. The enemy wants you and I to live with a diminished honor of what God has done for us. And not only what he has done for us, what he is doing now and what he will do. See, see honor is, is something that takes a moment of recognition in our own lives for someone else. I honor you because of who you are. Not because I understand everything about it, but I choose to honor you. I choose to reverence who I am towards who you are and put you in rightful place. And in the book of 1 Chronicles 16, it says this, Great is the Lord, He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround Him. Strength and joy fill His dwelling. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. The moment we honor God for who He is, is the moment He now has the ability to be God. I heard someone ask a question in a pastor's forum of all places. Uh, a question that was, I guess, trying to trap this incredible man of God in terms of, a, not trap, but a curly question. And he said, let me answer it this way. What makes God God? And all these pastors were like, hmm. <laughs> and he said, here, I'll, I'll simply clear it up for you. What makes God God is the fact that he can do things you and I can't. But if you're like me, you kind of get into a routine of life and you, you start doing things and you think, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. Uh, I don't know if I need God as much as I needed him before because I've learned and I've got this. But God is looking for an honor at all times in our lives. And the moment he's placed in the rightful place and is sovereign over our lives, when we, when we actually capture how incredible he is. And the fact that he chooses to presence himself amongst us and give us breath in its very existence is mind-blowing. Have a spirit, have a life of reverence, of honor for who he is. Secondly, worship not just requires honor at all times, but I believe requires an activated self-surrender. Because all of us in our lives right now are bowing to something. So the question is simply this, what are you bowing to? 
are you bowing to the mismanagement of finances? Nadia? No, just checking. <laughs> are you bowing to addictions in your life? Are we bowing to self-idol? The things we want, the things we can do, the things we know best about. Uh, we're all bowing to something. If we're not careful, we don't realize we are, and that's where the enemy gets a hold on our lives. But an activated self-surrender is one where we get to choose where self goes in the picking order of life. Does what I want hit the top of the list as number one, or does what God want hit number one? The Garden of Eden, self was first. The Garden of Gethsemane, self was second. The challenge for you and I is to choose to activate our self-surrender. The Bible talks about idols and the idols of yesteryear were different things, sculptures and whatnot that were made. I believe one of the biggest idols in our society today is self-worship, so to speak. That we idolize self above anything else. Whether it's social media that's helping push that, whether it's the change of moral standard that's helping push that, whether it, whatever it is that's getting it to that place, if we're not careful, the trap is that we believe in ourselves and what we can do more than who God is and what He can do. I could put it this way, that people often now will challenge the authority of God's Word. Hey, hey that book, you know, it was written a long time ago by humans just like you and me. And so how can you say it's legit for this day and age when they were writing around accounts for society back then, which is obviously very different and yada, yada, yada. And the enemy is attacking the authority of the living word of God. And people start to say, well, well that, that one's not applicable in this day and age. And what are we doing? We're starting to self-prioritize we know better in our society than God and his living word yet we want all of God's benefits we just don't want the majority of God's restrictions if you want to put it that way yet full surrender realizes in our surrender God is now sovereign to be able to cause our lives to go to fruition People say, I just want to be free. I want to live a free life. I have seen so many people think the definition of freedom is to choose what they want only to discover it ends in emptiness. Yet when you align your life to the principles of God's word and surrender your heart over to the way he asks you and I to live our lives, it's the moment freedom comes and we start to gain traction and move forward in the things of God. Let's be people that activate Self-surrender. There's a passage in Romans 1, verse 21 to 25, sort of says, or sums up this thought. Throughout human history, the fingerprints of God were upon, you, upon them, yet they refused to honor him as God or even be thankful for his kindness. Instead, they entertained corrupt and foolish thoughts about God, what God was like. This left them with nothing but misguided hearts steeped in moral darkness. Although claiming to be super intelligent, they were in fact shallow fools. For only a fool would trade unfading splendor of the immortal God to worship the fading image of other humans. 
idols made to look like people, animals, birds, and even creeping reptiles. This is why God lifted off his restraining hand. And he let them have full expression of their sinful and shameful desires. They were given over to moral depravity, dishonoring their bodies by sexual perversion amongst themselves, all because, watch it, they traded the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped and served the things God made rather than the God who made all things. And then it says, glory and praises to him for eternity of eternities. Amen. Let's be people that don't just worship the things God's given us, but we surrender our lives to who he is, not just what he does. Third and finally, as the team come and join me, I don't want you to be distracted, but I believe worship requires not only this honor, not only this surrender, but I believe it requires a release of divine authority. Not only does it require a response to say, God, I choose to honor you. Not only does it require a response, God, I sacrifice me for you, my will for your will over my life, but it releases divine authority in your life. What do I mean by that? There's a passage in Acts 16. Two dudes by the name of Paul and Silas thrown into prison. If you know the story, probably thrown into prison wrongly, but we find in Acts 16, verse 25 to 26, this incredible account where it says, Paul and Silas, I love this word, undaunted, prayed in the middle of the night and sang songs of praise to God while all the other prisoners listened to their worship. Suddenly, watch it, suddenly, a great earthquake shook the foundations of the prison. All at once, every prison door flung open and the chains of all the prisoners came loose. When we worship God for who He is, not only does your life come out of the prison it finds itself in, but those in the orbit of your life see their lives freed from what they're in bondage of. The divine authority gets invoked in your heart, in my heart, in our lives when we choose to worship God for who He is. The release of His supernatural power takes place. And in one moment, God can do more than you and I can do in our lifetime. But Paul and Silas had a revelation undaunted. I love that. In the middle of a prison cell, wrongly accused, undaunted by the surrounding of their life, they chose to praise and worship God. And in that moment, an earthquake out of the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the night, came, rocked the foundations of the very prison they were held in. And not only were they freed, but those in the vicinity of their worship, of their reverence, of their surrender, benefited from the decisions they made. I believe there's people tonight you're going to make a decision. I might find myself in the middle of a prison cell, but I'm going to choose to worship. And in your choosing to worship, your declaration that I need more of who you are, God, I lay my life afresh down. There are going to be family members. I believe it with all of my heart that you've been praying for years for, that this is the year they're going to be set free from the, the bind, the hold on the enemy because of your declaration to praise God in all things. Our degree of human dependence determines the degree of His divine authority. We hope-
hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.